1: Today on CityCast Denver, it's football season again, but this year, what happens on the field is going to have a possibly lucrative and potentially disastrous effect on Boulder and the University of Colorado. We're talking about the CU Buffs' new football coach, who's far from just a coach, dion Coach Prime Sanders, plus wins and fails of the week. Today is Friday, August 25th. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the city with more dogs than kids. Literally, that is a fact about the city that we live in. Can you believe that? I told, Someone told me that recently. I checked the numbers. It's legit. According to splootveterinarycare.com and Denverite. Uh, it's Friday. We're here at 5280 Magazine. Bree is not here. She's taking some well-deserved time off. Uh, she'll be back next week. So I'll just in- introduce my two excellent guests right off the bat here. The editorial director and editor of 5280 Magazine, respectively, Jeff Van Dyke and Lindsay King. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Paul. Or should I say welcome back, Lindsay?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm a repeat visitor now. Yeah. Happy also, to have you back.
1: I didn't have to travel far. Neither of us did. <laughs> um, thank you two so much for the for the use of the space. Can we talk about dogs for a second? I really want to talk about that fact. Did you two know that, that we have more dogs than kids in this city?
0: I saw that. I saw it. And I, w- I actually looked at the numbers, too. I was like, this can't be. R-. And then I was like, actually, maybe it can be right. Actually, it,
2: ha- it tracks for me. Yeah? yeah? Does that make sense? Why does that make sense to you? I mean, have you been to a park in Denver? <laughs> <laughs> True. Have you been <laughs> on a trail? Also, <laughs> I, mean, I don't it's...
0: have any kids, and I have had dogs, so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I have two kids, no dogs.
0: Oh,
1: huh. interesting. All right. Well, we got a great topic here today to get into. And I think we should just dive in because it's so fascinating. There's so much to talk about. For me, longtime listeners know I only decided last year that I'm now a big football fan. Uh, the Broncos disappointed me. Fortunately, they're not the big show this season. All eyes, here in Colorado at least, are are instead on the new highly anticipated and highly paid coach of the University of Colorado Buffs, Dion Primetime Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Prime. So Robert Sanchez wrote the big story for 5280 Magazine. We're going to talk about it. Um, But first, can one of you two explain why Dion Sanders coaching the Buffs is a big deal? I mean, I think the the question is, why is it not a big deal?
2: (laughs) I remember when there started to be – some rumors of him interviewing mm-hmm. for this job. And Lindsay and I were talking, and we're both college football fans, she much more so than me. And she was like, Are you kidding me? Like, why would Dion come to see you? He's a Florida guy. He's coached and lived in Texas, played for the Dallas Cowboys. It just seemed like a weird regional fit. Yeah. But the more you start to think about it, it kind of makes sense because he has nowhere to go but up.
1: Huh. Okay. Okay. Well, Lindsay, tell, help me understand, like, why why Deion Sanders is special? Because I had not heard that name before.
0: Well, I grew up in Atlanta, so I am very familiar with Prime, or as we called him back in the day, Neon Deion, when he played for the Braves. Deon. Neon Deion, and he played for the Falcons, and so and actually, he lived near me, and and so he was he was a bright shining star his entire career, and even as a kid. Apparently, from the research that we did. He was a, a social media star before there was social media. And I think that CU... Wait, how?
1: Did he have like tapes? Do you have like VHS tapes go viral or something? I just like mean, people he was tapes?
0: everywhere. He was everywhere on every channel. Mm. He was just that guy around he town. Was,
1: yeah,
2: he was the self-promoter. I mean, uh, he was one of those, you know, early generations of athletes that was preternaturally talented, but also just... Loved the spotlight. I mean, you know the gold chains and the sunglasses, and you couldn't see it on YouTube or post it on Twitter. But I mean, you could see it on SportsCenter. You could see it on ESPN and and the networks.
0: Hmm. And I think CU was very smart in a being a program that needed to be shocked back to life. He has brought that that burst of energy.
1: Okay. Okay. So let's talk about how it happened because you all are, you're explaining CU was down in the dumps. You know, they went one in 11 last year. It's a terrible football program. It's been terrible for like 20 years. He's this bright shining star who's on the rise. How did they do this uh, other than money? I mean, they paid him like $30 million for four years, but like still, how, how did they attract him to Boulder, Colorado?
0: Yeah, I think if you look at the program over the past 25 years, CU has really struggled to get the right type of coach to bring s- some swag. <laughs> to see you. And I think that that is what they were looking for.
3: I move different than a normal coach. I think different than a normal coach. Our swag is different. So our staff, we wear sweatpants and I don't require them to wear college shirts. We want to feel good. We want to feel like we had practice coaching the game and we want a little little flair.
0: And honestly, big college football, it is it is one of those things that people believe attracts all kinds of things, all kinds of good things, they think to their university students. So if you're talking about dropping enrollment, you're talking about, you know, all of the marketing that goes on because of college football. I think CU was looking for that.
1: Hmm.
2: So Dion had spent a couple of seasons at Jackson State, which is an HBCU, historically black college. And that was his first college coaching experience. He had started a school in the dallas area called prime prep
1: oh that was a crazy story insane story right robert's piece yeah
2: and and uh flamed out spectacularly but that was the extent of his coaching experience jackson state hires him they start to have success and he brought attention to that school a school that was traditionally not known as a football powerhouse Hmm.
1: I think what I'm most interested in this conversation, and I know, Lindsay, you'll be able to relate to this because you also grew up in a college football crazy West Virginia. I, from Ohio, Columbus, the home of the Ohio State University, great football program, huge business, and it has a way of warping reality around it. So I'm most interested in how this is going to affect the university, CU, which is this giant state system across our whole state, very important, and bolder. What do you think about that warping effect in those two big subjects?
0: Yeah, I think that we've already started to see the warping. If you talk about the way that CU for a very long time said that they would never lower any type of their standards. And I think that has already started to happen. They've changed their transfer rules to allow different students with, with different academic backgrounds to get into the football program. Um, so you've already started to see some of that warping when you're talking about academic standards. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know if, if you're talking about also the university looking, um, you know, presenting itself in a certain way. They got rid, Dion came in and got rid of a whole bunch of scholarship players who came to see you because they wanted to be in Boulder. And he, he gave them their, their walking papers and they had to go find other places to be. And I think that that's already kind of showing that the football program takes precedence over... People that wanted to be at CU, students that wanted to be there for probably a lot of reasons.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the the student slash athlete part of that equation is where does the student part fit <laughs> yeah, in? Yeah, where is it? <laughs> um I just read yesterday that they have sixty-eight new scholarship players. Hmm. So I mean, what you know, how it will be interesting, I mean, from a pure football perspective to see how can they build that culture? How can how can these players who, who don't know each other, right, in a short amount of time be able to gel in a way that potentially leads to winning on the field? I think, Paul, I'm also if, if I can just follow up on, yeah. on the question you asked Lindsay, I think that you have already seen how he has warped things in the sense that you had a springs scrimmage that In the past, no one cared about, and it was sold out, and it was broadcast on ESPN. You have seen Fanatics, the sportswear retailer, online retailer, they have said that CU branded gear, sales are through the roof. And so, you know, I think in some ways you can say CU has already won without even having a game because of the publicity and the shine that Dion has brought to a program that had lost all its shine.
0: Hmm. Hmm. We had a friend the other day say that, you know, Sanders being there means that the games are now more interesting. If they win, it's interesting, but it's also interesting if they lose. So you're you're he's right. Jeff's right. They're winning either way because they're getting eyeballs because he is attracting them.
1: Big star. Best show on TV. There you go. Yeah. Can't not watch. I mean, he's he's a fascinating, fascinating guy. I, let me just read a, a quote from this piece, Robert's piece that we're talking about. There's so many good ones in here. I guess the student athletes is, is something we should talk more about. So here's a quote about What Dion has instituted, you know, in terms of policies for his athletes. Uh, The quote is, he forbade cell phones and team meetings, but allowed players to put their Instagram handles on the backs of their practice jerseys. Snoop Dogg and Rick Ross hung around the sidelines. The Rock visited practice. Sanders talked about players getting paid about the work it would take for these men to get to the NFL.
3: We don't have a budget to advertise or market or even to recruit like the big boys. So we have to use social media. So I start putting all the ads on the coaches back of the shirt. So a running back does well, that running back watching TV is gonna at that coach and getting them DMs and try to get, so that's the way we recruit. So everything has a is strategic and it has a purpose. Also, our kids, when they warm up pregame. They have their ats on the back of their shirts. So, you know, people add them up, making sure they know them and follow them. All these kids want followers, followers and we're trying to revolutionize the game and get them followers as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think Dion, this goes back to what Lynn said a few minutes ago, which is he was a social media star before there was social media. I mean, he understands the business of. Publicity in ways that very few people do. I mean, Donald Trump being one of the other ones, <laughs> hmm. you know, and, and for better or for worse, and that's a conversation for another day. But I think he understands these young men. He understands what they want. He understands that this is a business. And he said, I saw a quote, it was around the time of conference realignment, and there was All this craziness going on, you know, CU left the Pac-12. They went back to the big 12 where they had been, what, 13 years ago or whatever. And people were up in arms and it started this this domino effect. And he said, why is everyone getting mad? People are going after the money. You get mad when kids do the NIL stuff, but it's all about money. And, you know, whether we like it or not, he's kind of right.
0: He's absolutely right. The, the NIL stuff is what he understands. He understands how to get paid. And
2: What is NIL?
0: So it's name image likeness, which is a recent change oh, in the way- Oh, this is the change
1: that allows the NCAA players to get paid by like smaller sponsorships? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Or some,
2: not so, or, small or some ones. not
0: so small ones if you can can get those. Yeah, I
2: mean, Bryce Young was doing ads with all the Heisman folks. I, I forget what it was. It was-
0: Yeah, they're, they're big. You can get I mean, some of these kids would rather stay in school at this point because they can get paid. They don't have to immediately go into, you know, pro leagues or some of them don't even end up in the pros, but they're getting paid as college kids. And and Sanders understands and he and he's right in that it is only fair that they are getting paid for the product they are putting on the field.
2: Well, and Paul, to that quote you read, I think Robert gets to this in the piece, but it's like Dion knows everyone. He knows everyone in football, but he kind of knows everyone. I mean, if you have the rock and Rick Ross showing up at practice, how can that not be appealing to these, these young men, these, these athletes who are like, Hey, you know, what would one meeting with the rock? How could that change your life down the road? Perhaps.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the power is so obvious. I love the way he's like, I mean, there's this moment happening with a bunch of across sports, really. I mean, it's LeBron James's thing too. It's player empowerment, but it's so fascinating the way it's changing the balance of power. And he he's one of these people that really seems like he's in the driver's seat of that change. Like he's do you guys get that sense too that he's an agent of that?
2: Absolutely, a hundred percent. In terms of college football, he is a new generation of coach who you know is sort of all in on this stuff and. I I think he's changing the game. I think, like, the cat is out of the bag and we will see more Dions or Dion pretenders. You know, there is really only one Dion Sanders.
0: (laughs) The thing I think that's (laughs) worth bringing up is that, you know, when you're talking about this new guard, the thing is, though, CU has made a decision that they want to be part of big time college football. And I think one of the things that kind of goes back to what you were saying about CU and, Big time college football is actually not a money winner for almost every program in the country. If you're Alabama, if you're Georgia, you might be bringing in dollars. But for the most part, as a West Virginia University fan, I know it is not it is not a money generator. It is probably not good for your school overall. And it will be interesting to see if CU is right that the marketing opportunity is is what they were looking for, because I think there's some, some big downsides there too.
1: Hmm, what do you mean, like what?
0: Right now the athletic program is almost entirely separate from the university. Dion has his own marketing, he has his own people that run his PR. He doesn't have to answer to anybody at the university, at least seemingly so.
1: Yeah. I mean, he has his own reality show, you know, he's got, he's bigger, he's bigger than the CU athletic department. He's just, he's, he is the show.
2: I mean, he's posting stuff when when he has some pretty serious health issues, um, in terms of blood clotting and, and he walks with a limp now, but he had to go in for a surgery. This was maybe, I was right before we went to press. So it was a month, six weeks ago. And he was posting pictures or his fiance was posting pictures of him in the hospital, you know, in the hospital bed before he gets wheeled in for surgery. Like everything is for content. Hmm. It's, it's all there, whether it's the good, the bad, the ugly.
1: Hmm. Robert's story keeps driving home how big of a risk this was for CU. How it could go really well, you know, for obvious reasons, the football program could explode, but it could go bad. And there are a few good reasons why that might be. Which of those reasons do you two think are the most serious or compelling?
2: I think the biggest is the challenge to the academic reputation of the university. I mean, I think Lindsay and I may have very different ideas about this. And actually, Paul, I'd be curious to know what you think about it. But you know one of the things that was really interesting to me in Robert's story was he talked to a number of professors at the school. These were not necessarily just rank and file professors, not that that's saying anything about rank and file professors. These were, you know, faculty chairs, people who were involved in the hiring, people who have been um involved in academic govern- governance and Pretty unanimously they're concerned about what this means. So Linz alluded to the fact that they changed the transfer rules. They made it easier for students to transfer in, which is a lowering of standards. What does that mean for a, a school that is the flagship branch of of a large state university? I think the jury's out on that, you know?
1: I think it depends what happens on the field. I think if he wins, oh Lindsay, yeah, you you know this from experience, West Virginia and you're going to school in Georgia. I I tell me, tell me.
0: Well, I think if I think it depends on him winning, but here's the thing I think CU and everybody has said, I'm not the only one, but he can't win too much. Because then CU <laughs> is going to be in the same position it was in a year ago because he mark my words will be at Florida State, he will be at an mm. SEC school. So the thing is, is how long does CU get to enjoy Dion's, you know, the glow of Dion in Boulder? If he's too good, he's gone. Yeah. So you've lowered your standards, you've changed the way that you allow someone to operate at your university, and then you, you know, where's your dignity after he leaves?
1: Hmm. Or a third option, I mean, which is what I saw at Ohio State, which was, Chronic winning, which creates a sort of like a uh, slippery slope of changing standards. Like the transfer portal is one thing, but there was the the rumors that Robert reported on that Sanders had pushed for CU uh, to GPA. lower their GPA eligibility requirement to the NCAA minimum. I mean, that's the kind of thing that could happen after a few years of of winning
2: right right where does the slippery slope end yeah yeah
1: interesting really really interesting questions for uh for cu for boulder um for dion if he would email back the show last question for you two broncos looks like they're do- doing pretty bad again looks like they're gonna be really bad um although they have a new coach i'm not gonna get excited about who's gonna have a better record this year the broncos or the buffs gotta oh. have a prediction oh, man put it, put it on put it on on the record I'm going Broncos for
2: sure.
0: Me too.
2: Broncos, I, I, I know. And I'm not a Broncos sure. fan. I'm, here's the thing their record was worse than it should have been. They were terribly in, they had injuries all over the place. They obviously had coaching issues. I think they're an even, you know, they're eight and eight ish team, 500 ish team. I don't think CU is going to win more than three games.
0: I agree. You've got all these new kids up there at CU. They don't know how to play together yet. You know, the transfer portal is great until you've got a whole bunch of kids that have never even been on the field together. So, yeah, I'm going maybe maybe four or five games in Boulder.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll check in at the end of the season um, and uh, hold you two accountable. We'll be back in just a second with wins and fails. all right we're back uh we're gonna do our favorite way to end the week here the segment that i like to call still wins and fails although there has been some good feedback recently about what we call this segment Bree's not here to defend herself so i'm not going to get into that we'll talk about it next week uh so fails first because we got to end on wins jeff lindsey does either either one of you want to start with a fail i have a fail bring it on jeff
2: so dps started this week Mm-hmm. I have two sons in DPS. Yeah. And as everyone listening knows, it's been extremely hot in Denver. Oh, boy. Yeah. And my fail is that DPS still has a huge number of schools that don't have air conditioning. And it's 2023, folks. This is not okay. Yeah, it's too There's hot. A, I mean, so one of my sons is out of school with AC. The other one is not. And he comes home and he has worked. And the story I read was a 7 News story, and they were talking about West High School, which got AC Mm -hmm. uh, during the summer. But their principal was saying the the classrooms would get up to the mid-90s. I mean, it's hard enough for an adolescent to learn in the best of circumstances, but uh, this is just a huge fail on on DPS. And, you know, there, there was a bond passed in 2020 that was close to 800 million, I believe. 795 million bond. And some of that is going toward these HVAC systems in some of these schools. But there's still 31 schools in DPS that either don't have ac or need significant upgrades to their ac so i think like let's let's figure this out folks it's just not a good deal
1: yeah sounds like it's not working um i did see that they they installed ac at like 11 schools over this past summer so they're they're moving in the right direction there but yeah that's uh that is quite a fail yep <sighs> Lindsay, how about you
0: Um, So the story that I looked at was in the Denver Post, but it is about the Douglas County Library Board trying to ban LGBTQ plus related books, um, which is I mean, I I know this is a trend across the country. I Mm -hmm. know it's happening everywhere, but it's so hard when you look at it in your backyard and you think that something like how a book about drag queens is going to like ruin children because it's hyper sexualized. It's, it's so disappointing and it's so hard to read. Um, the Denver Post did a good job on it, but it's just ick.
1: Yeah. What are the books? Do you have, does it say which books there are that they're, are they, they're actually banning them now for sure?
0: They are, there is going to be a, an actual like meeting and they are going to discuss this. I think there is a, a, a person that's in charge of of maybe rejecting this okay. this plea but so still
1: not quite okay I knew they were talking about it down in Douglas County but yeah uh, yeah. yeah there's
0: Oof. the so the Douglas County Library's Board of Trustees um, is being asked by a conservative men's group to ban four books the only one that I think that they name uh, is the hips on the drag queen go swish 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 which sounds kind of fun to me
1: yeah yeah that seems fine um, but okay Douglas County gonna ban some books great good good for them hopefully not um, sh- my turn. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. Uh, I uh, I got I got two. I got one small one, which is that Ed Sheeran got into Casa Bonita and not me. Oh, I guess I you have to that. sell out in Power he, Field or something. And then had dinner at Casa Bonita. You talked to Matt and Trey. I did. Tell me, what do you think about Ed Sheeran getting in there? Because that kind of that really rankled me when I saw that.
2: It does seem mm, questionable. I think. Yeah. Did, he get
0: the, did he get the email maybe? Like maybe he I got the email. I still haven't gotten the email. Lindsay. I still haven't gotten the email.
1: generous of you. you I got the got, email. You, oh, what'd you have a take? What? Did you go? I mean, what I did went. you think? Yeah. How'd you feel?
0: I had never been before.
1: Oh, okay. So it's really
0: weird because I had never weird. been. Um. It was fun. You know, what, saw a puppet show, walked around I'm, in the caves.
1: I'm so sad Breeze not here. I know she would be on we fire need, on this. We need to talk about Music this Music and Casa Bonita. I mean, we'll talk about it next week, but the, the thing about Ed Sheeran that got to me and like, I would like to hear what you think about how Matt and Trey view this is like, Casa Bonita always had this sense. It was for the people. It was cheap enough that you could take a family there and you could go and enjoy yourself and it was accessible. And now we're at this point where they're not actually opening it up, but they are letting celebrities in for these like weird private parties. It's, it's not a great look. I... I I
2: have plenty of thoughts about this ongoing opening this you know soft opening yeah whatever you call it I think that what that what the team there did was they did themselves and everyone a disservice by saying it was going to open at a certain time mm-hmm. right do does anyone in this room know of a restaurant that opened on time no, it's never happened. I, I think hmm. literally, it's never happened in the history of the world.
1: I think the quick trip down the road for me is on Target. They're building it right now. But yeah, the convenience store might might manage. One can
0: hope.
2: There you go. But you know, I talked to Dana as mm-hmm. well, and she was like, "I've never opened a restaurant on time." And those are restaurants that are not serving seven hundred people simultaneously. So you have this sort of perfect storm of passionate fans. People love the story of Casa Bonita. People love the idea of Matt and Trey buying it. It's, it's so perfect. And then they ran into the realities of running a restaurant and running a restaurant that is massive. Um, and I think they could have done themselves... And, and everyone else a service by being a little more realistic and clear about what was going on behind the scenes and saying, look, we're doing our best. We still don't have things dialed in and it's okay. We will get there. But when you have people like me who, you know, knows the publicist really well and I still haven't gotten the email <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you have Ed Sheeran, not a great look.
0: Yeah. Yes. he's just bitter because he didn't get the email and i did
2: i am oh. bitter it's not same I think with that's me. Fair.
1: Yeah, i feel the exact same way and it's that's the correct way to feel freaking bitter and <laughs> want to get in there um dang it um all right let's move on to wins all right i've got one go for it jeff
2: all right i read this story on cpr um it was one of these stories when you look at the news these days it's not always uplifting but this story Warmed my heart. So there is a nonprofit here in Denver called EmergencyRV.org. It was founded by a Denver guy whose name is Woody Faircloth, which sounds like something out of a Dickens novel, right? <laughs>
1: Woody Faircloth. I love But he that. started so he
2: started this nonprofit, and quite mm-hmm. simply, what it does is gets donated RVs that they then give to first responders who have lost their homes in natural disasters. Hmm. Started after the campfire in Northern California in 2018. Woody and his 11-year-old daughter locked down five RVs that they are shipping from San Diego to Maui. Hmm. And not only that, they have these women in Iowa don't ask me why Iowa, Um, I'm not sure, (laughs) I don't know all the connective tissues, but Uh these women quilt blankets, they put a brand new handmade blanket in each RV that they give to these firefighters who have lost their homes. Mm -hmm. And the idea being you lose so much that has meaning to you, right? So you get this RV donated to you, which is pretty spectacular in and of itself. And then it has a handmade quilt in it. So I just thought this was awesome, awesome, awesome story. Kudos to uh, Woody Faircloth and his eleven-year-old daughter and EmergencyRV.org.
1: Great. Yeah, we'll put the uh, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. That's. What a what a wonderful idea the quilt especially is a nice touch it's a it's just such a nice touch my um I I, uh, I have a deep abiding respect for the quilting tradition um, my mom has been a quilter for a long time my house is full of beautiful quilts so uh, the people who receive those I, I know they will appreciate it um Lindsay do you want to go
0: uh, yeah I can go all right so uh, this was in Denver right uh, as we all know the housing crisis here in Denver is tough. The market is ridiculous. Nobody can find, you know, reasonable places to live. But one of the things that people have been looking into, and there was a study done and um, this, you know, this story in Denver, right? Talks about commercial buildings here. We all know oh, that yeah. there are a whole Great. bunch of commercial buildings mm-hmm. that are not being used because we're all working from home. Um and instead, they are looking at whether they can be adaptively reused, meaning someone goes in, looks at these buildings, decides if they are built in a way that can take apartments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it apparently, Denver has a huge amount of buildings that have the opportunity for this. And there was a study saying that immediately out of the gate, it seems like there's about 16, there could be upwards of 50, but 16 that really look like this could happen and you know, there's studies and ongoing, you know, probably like looking at HVAC systems and those kinds of things. Mm, but, um, but it's bathrooms, you know, those kind of elevators. And actually, one of the big things was, is there enough parking? Which, mm. as you know, I circled the block six times trying to find a parking spot downtown Denver. But um, it is a, is it potentially a huge win to be able to change these empty commercial buildings into apartments or other st- types of living units.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we've we been talking about that a lot on the show recently, actually. I think it's just a fascinating idea. I mean, it seems so obvious, right? Like, we need more housing. We have all these empty office buildings because remote workers aren't coming back to the office. Why can't we put the square peg in the, in the hole? Um, I don't know. I was looking at that report this week, too. Which of those buildings would you be most... Did you look at it? Because it was like... The the way it broke it down by building and talked about like specific challenges, some of those buildings I'm like I don't I don't know if I would want to live that in that they'd have to do a lot of renovating.
0: Well, they were saying you know like Denver's Republic Plaza, which is one of Colorado's tallest yeah. buildings, um, and they mentioned a, a couple other by name that I actually I didn't I didn't know which ones they were, but I think I think it's a good point. But here's the thing: if you need an affordable place to live, all of a sudden an unattractive building becomes pretty darn attractive. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I. think Think when you're talking about the the you know demographics here in Denver, where we we have a lot of people who are living on the street. You know, there are probably lots of um, these are probably awful a lot of solutions, um, but also just to regular folks who have regular jobs who can't afford to live in Denver anymore. And I think that it it's interesting to think about how that might be able to be at least one solution.
1: Absolutely, it is really interesting. And uh, listeners, if you do want to hear more about that, I recommend going back in your podcast feed.
0: Mm, I don't remember if it
1: was this Monday or last Monday, but uh, Brie and I talked to her old boss, who's this like real estate economist, old guard Denverite, who's been around like downtown Denver business and politics for like 30 years. And he knows this issue back to front. He was just fascinating, he knew all the economics. We went, we went really, really deep with him. Um, if you want to learn more. Um, My turn? Do you have one? Oh, yeah, I've got one. I've got one. My win this week goes to History Colorado. That museum is crushing it. My wife and I went on Saturday. Every single exhibit in there was just like hitting. 10 out of 10. Sand Creek Massacre, I cried. Virgil Ortiz, Indigenous Futurism, fascinating. Never would have expected to see anything like that in a history museum. It kind of blew my mind. I want to see that as a full-length movie. But my favorite was John Fielder's favorite place, have you two been, have you two seen this? I haven't it seen it,
2: but I saw the banner uh as I was driving down Broadway the other day and just coming on the heels of his passing. Yeah. Um, it caught my eye. And so I can't tell say us enough good it.
1: things. You gotta go see it. This is a special thing that he has done with the people at History Colorado. This is this like I didn't I didn't I didn't really appreciate his work before you know it was landscapes it's like landscapes of Colorado they kind of run together a kinda little bit kind of postcardy yeah but like I knew why people had talked about him and like as he's he's this talented guy so the exhibit is is designed around a single backpacking trip he did to find this specific place where he took his favorite photo that's the whole idea of the exhibit. So it starts with, here's the camera bag and the exact camera he used for 30 years and took on this backpacking trip. Here's the fleece that he wore that I then found on eBay that night and may or may not have coming soon to my (laughs) house. Um, The boots that he wore, like you can see his boots. And then he tells this story through photos of this nine day trek that he and his son and his son's friends went out and like, they had a medical emergency and then this was where it happened and you can see it in the beautiful photo of the landscape and the way the the pictures all run together and then lead up to this giant wall sized photo of this beautiful mountain range that has the morning sun where and you know that it's there because he planned to be at those exact coordinates because he plotted it all out he knew exactly what the light was going to look like the perfect time the perfect time the perfect place it, totally intentional. And then the six photos that he then explains, like why they're not technically perfect. I just, I, I wanted to take a photography class. I bought the the fleece. I am so excited about this. And I want to put a call out to listeners. The best photography class in the city. I want to know about it. I want to take that class. Please help me out. I want to follow in John Fielder's footsteps. Do you know, Lindsay? Lindsay a, a photographer.
0: Uh, I'm well. well we I'm a wannabe photographer, but uh, I don't. I actually don't know. I mean, I we could look at the our Students League of Denver. I don't know if they do photography. Um, but there's probably lots of really great places to get some photography classes. But we actually we wrote a profile of John Fielder years ago, and uh, you know the the amount of time and effort, and like you said, going to the exact spot at the exact time was. a a lot about you know this profile went into that and and he was a real fascinating guy and talented
2: yeah i I pulled up that piece after i learned of his death it's called second nature and and paul especially coming on the heels of seeing that exhibition you should check it out but listeners too uh, that was a it was a while ago maybe 13 14 years ago but a real real poignant piece his life was touched by tragedy and um very poignant
1: yeah i mean i and i just can't emphasize enough like The difference between a photo that I would take on my phone of a mountain versus what he would do, like now that I know all the work that took it from a seven out of 10 to a 10 out of 10, I just appreciate it so So much much more more. now. Um, Anyway, so listeners call in, let me know what's the best photography class in Denver. Uh, The the, the photography hotline is 720-500-5418. Again, that number is 720-500-5418. Send us a text, leave us a voicemail. Please help me out. Jeff, Lindsay, we're here at the end of the show. Do you have anything to plug? Anything you want listeners to, to know about or see or hear or maybe a, a hot recommendation?
2: Gosh, I would say read the Dion story. Read Robert's Dion story, which you can find online. Absolutely.
1: co That's going to be in the show notes for sure.
2: We also have in the August issue, totally different, you know, sort of, this is what we do at 5280, which is, you know, strange bedfellows in the same issue, but Mm -hmm. the cover story was written by one of our former staffers named Jay Bouchard. It was, it's a beginner's guide to sailing in Colorado. And it is, the conceit is, what was it? 10, 10 mistakes.
0: Yeah. All the mistakes that he made when he was learning to sail. And Jay's a funny guy in the first place, but his his misadventures in learning how to sail in Colorado is, is kind of the conceit of the story and, and it's it's a fun read. But yeah. and, and interesting and helpful, I think, if you ever thought you maybe wanted to get out on, you know, Dylan and see how you can Well <laughs> you and, know, can, and
2: even if you did like I didn't really know there was this robust sailing scene on the lakes the high alpine lakes of Colorado. Um and just that learning that and it's not all, you know, regattas and and richy rich people. It's People who live on their boats and people who, who have, like Jay, you know, a boat that he bought for, what, 140 bucks, fixed up, and now sails on Cherry Creek Reservoir. Huh. Yeah.
1: Interesting. That does—I I am not aware of this community, the high, pl- the, the, high the high country sailing, sailing world. It's a thing. That's— that's crazy. All right, Lindsay, how about you? Do you got you got something you want to plug?
0: Oh man, you should have told me about this. I think that, you know, <laughs> coming up, I guess, maybe in one of our future issues. Another thing that maybe is cool and fun is uh how to get into gravel biking. Mm-hmm. And that I, you know, hitting the gravel. Hitting gravel. Yeah, and I'm not that person, but still, I think <laughs> it was really fun to read and uh that's that's coming to a 5280 issue near you.
1: Great. Great. Well, we'll have uh, all the links to all the stuff we talked about, um, plus more in the show notes. Uh, Lindsay King, Jeff Van Dyke, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, thanks. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Lizzie Goldsmith, Natalie Rivera, and Olivia Jewell-Love. Natalia Aldana and Peyton Garcia write our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mochachetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, at CityCast Denver, and tell, who else? Dion Sanders about us the next time you see him. You can sign up for that daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you next week. Dion, Coach Prime Sanders.